I'm Rene Ritchie, and I wanted to do this one a little differently. See, I've already posted an iOS 14 explainer video and an iOS 14 preview video. And in those, I break down all the new features and all the technology behind how they all work. And now after using iOS 14 on my primary iPhone, since literally the day it was announced back in June, I wanna give you some personal opinion on how well I think it all works. Both my opinion and John Gruber's. John Gruber of Daring Fireball and the talk show fame, who's been gracious enough to join me for this. Now, I'll preface this all by saying iOS 14 is good. I mean, really good, great even. So much better than iOS 13 in so many ways. But it's also bringing some huge changes to the core iPhone experience, some of which I think are right, and some of which I think are just right now, but all of which we're gonna just nitpick the hell out of because this stuff is important. And I think they've nailed the basics well enough that it's worth being critical, maybe even Syracuse style hypercritical about it. So the biggest feature, or at least the feature they front loaded was widgets or the new home screen experience. And they sure do look pretty. They look a lot like, well, I guess they technically are the Swift UI. Apple Watch widgets, and they provide really good information density, but we've lost almost all the interactivity from the previous widgets. Yeah, it's it's a weird trade-off, I think, overall. I mean, and I totally get it. And it is funny, you know, you think like, and I feel like in a lot of ways, all year long, we've, you know, especially with App Store related stuff, we've been having a Hey, wait, a lot of stuff has changed in the last decade discussion community wise. Apple's, you know, in their own weird way, (laughs) communicating back to us. But some things for as much has changed performance wise, screen size wise, all sorts of technology wise. Some stuff hasn't. And like that hyper focus on battery life hasn't. And clearly that's the trade off is, okay, you know, in theory, if we had infinite battery life, of course, we'd want these widgets to be totally dynamic, you know, have them be little apps running in yeah. little widget things on screen. Uh, it, clearly, that's the trade-off. And so any discussion or any complaints about, well, I wish these were more dynamic, I wish they were more interactive, have to be taken into consideration with, well, why are they like this? Clearly, it's about battery and energy consumption. I do find from just like a glanceability factor, like I... I've put them mostly like the big widgets I put mostly on my second screen and I've put things like to-dos and things that I really want to be able to see at just a glance. And if I need more, I can just tap the widget and go right into the app. Clearly, these are meant to be information status, glanceable things. Whether that's what you wish widgets were or not, if you use them that way, they, they are pretty useful. I mean, in terms of giving you, you know, your sort of what's going on in my world today or my day today The one I ended up using the most on my main home screen is the Siri suggested widget, which actually behaves differently than the other ones. It basically puts a four by two unit of apps that it'll pick sort of based on time of day usage patterns. And I've put two of those on the main screen. So I have a four by four grid of those now. And I found them to be almost always entirely accurate. Very once in a while, maybe once a week, I want an app and it's not there but the app is almost always there. The only thing that slows me down a little is that they move around. So I don't have the object permanency. I, I can't just muscle memory tap the app. I know it's there, but it takes me a beat to sort of locate it and then tap it. You know, and and for me, it's like I sort of got my events and stuff like that. And that's where it goes. I, f- I, I feel like the Siri one is, 
interesting because it's also it, literally dynamic, right? Yeah, it's that new system intelligence team uh, that Sebastian Marino Mess is running, and he right. talked about it a little bit. Uh, but they really want to try to make the the it switch from pull interface to push interface, where you're not spelunking through the operating system, switching pages, just trying to find what you want, or having to type in to spotlight or search to try to find what you want. It's supposed to deliver it to you. And again, the best way to figure out what you can do if you want to sort of get into power user mode with them is still figure out what does Apple expect most people to get out of widgets, yeah. you know? And then the other interesting thing is you can now hide pages. Because I used to have, I think, 10 pages yeah. of apps, and I would maybe use the first two pages, and then I would just search for anything else because it was faster. I could never remember or want to take the time to go through them. So I've hidden all but two pages of home screen. And then they have the app library, which gives you search with an alphabetical index of apps. And this other thing that I find a little bit strange where you have these monstrous folders and three of the apps are large size. And if you tap them, you go straight to the app. Then you have a cluster of four apps that if you tap them, it opens it like a traditional folder. And it, it feels sort of like they're conflating two operations there at the same time. Yeah, I have to say that that's the one area where I'm, well, one of the areas where I I see what they're going for. And and I think that the old, you know, iOS 13 and earlier home screen certainly left a lot to be desired when you have more than a couple of pages worth of apps. I don't know that this, it, it, it feels too clever by far. You know, yeah. and, and, you know, and it's true. What do you do, though? What is the power user move for dealing with lots of apps? And, you know, that's still there, the pull down from the top and just start searching, you know, as long as you remember the name of your app. But it's like, I'm I'm not finding where they put the stuff in the app library to be convenient. I feel neater about my home screen. It does feel like, like, I uh, I should go through and clean up screens yeah. five, six, seven of my home screen. The app library, it doesn't, it isn't more practical to get to the apps, but it feels like I don't, I no longer have that on my to-do list. I should clean up my iPhone, right? I guess that's a better way to put it. Yeah, I was joking that it's the Marie Kondo of user experiences, but I think you're absolutely right. People have just generations of baggage and junk drawers full of apps. And this, if they just did something like the Android app shelf, you would be left with that alphabetical list and you'd have to go through it. And one of the problems I have is sometimes I know there's an app I want, but I just blank on the name of it. So it's not yeah. easy to find on search. And here at least maybe I can glance at it in those monstrous folders. But the categories, they've gotten better. I thought they were pretty bad when the first beta came out. They've gotten yeah. much better, but you can't change it. And sometimes the developer has put weird categories on the apps and they're just stuck in the last place you'd ever think to look for them. <laughs> I think, for example, and I could be wrong, but I think, for example, like for me, I, it's like I have my, my bank app and my like E-Trade app yeah. and something else. And they're together with like my text editors. And it's like <laughs> that that's a weird group, right? So this one I'm I'm curious about because we've also got the compact UI and the the first one or the big one is the new phone FaceTime and also for uh, voice over internet protocol apps when they get updated and instead of the whole full screen takeover which we've had since the original iPhone it now gives you something much closer to a banner notification oh. and I thought I'd really like this because I seldom if ever use my phone as a phone anymore and quite often if I get a call I'm upset because they're interrupting what I'm trying to do and I'm about to press something and the buttons there and then I hang up on the call and 
And this has ended up being a bit of a mixed blessing for me because now a call comes in and I blank on how to answer it. And then I remember there's a tiny banner at the top, but I don't always remember I can swipe down to open it. And sometimes I need the dial pad because it's like FedEx or UPS saying, you know, if you want this in English, press once. If you want this in French, press two. And I'm, I'm trying to hit the green thing around the time and then I'm trying to pull it down. And yeah, there, it, that sort of feels like a be careful what we wished for desire where it's like it's definitely felt and i know it's famous you know there's like the whole twitter account with just apple headlines with the word finally in them you know yeah. and i make fun of it on daring fireball all the time where people yeah. put finally for things that's like really you know this is like well you know it's two days old this was a beta all summer but i feel like the somebody decides to call you and instantly the second that call is connected your entire phone interface changes no matter what you were doing it, uh, that really does feel like years overdue, it's, you know? And it's like, you know, what's the worst times it pops up? Sometimes you know, it's like you're playing a game and you're yes. in a zone. It's like, oh my God, this is bizarre. Who ever th- heard of a video game where somebody else can just, like your dad can just call you and just <laughs> randomly interrupt you when it's you were the in the It's the last pitch in the playoffs. Right. <laughs> or, or like you're shooting a video, you're taking yeah. uh, photos. But like you said, it is weird now that you have it. It's like, wait, what do I do? I have this dream for dynamic affordance where like the if you miss a button often enough, it just makes the, the touch area bigger as a courtesy. And mm. with this, I feel like if you don't answer after a second, you haven't dismissed it. You haven't either pressed the button or flicked it away. If you don't answer it after a couple of seconds, it should just enlarge. It should grow into the full screen to make it easier for you to answer. And I feel the same way about the new Siri interface. I like that it doesn't take over the screen anymore. And now they're in this weird state where initially you couldn't use the interface anyway, even though you could see it. And now you can on the iPad, but not on the iPhone. And at the same time, we have this glowing Siri Powerball that sits on top of the dock. It doesn't clear it away. And it's it's an improvement, but it feels like it's it's like step one of maybe a, a two or three step process. But you can kind of understand that when we were starting with three and a half inch screen iPhones, Everything was full screen, no matter what you did, full screen, because there just wasn't that much screen to work with. How do you do something where you have like a little interface for Siri at the bottom or a phone call notification at the top yeah. or or picture in picture video now? The screens are big enough to support it. It's, it definitely makes sense. But you're getting you're working in a very constrained um, canvas size or yeah. Apple is to design the interface. And I don't feel like any of it is really great. Like, wow, they really nailed this interface. And I should just say the new notifications for Siri, I think they're great. They're small. They're really information dense. And the verbosity changes. If, you, if you're holding your phone and it knows it, it doesn't talk to you as much. It just shows you more. But if you're using a voice activation and you're further away, it explains everything really well. So the quality of the notifications has gotten way better with this version. Yeah, totally. And it's, it, it, I will also say that a lot of the stuff Apple's working on is stuff like a lot of the stuff you just said is all stuff that is so easy to overlook once it's in place. Uh, Another thing that I don't feel like any of us have really given Apple credit for is the, when you say, Hey, Siri, I don't know if that was (laughs) enough of a pause not to trigger it for people. And you have multiple devices within earshot. And like, for me, if, 
I've moved them out of my office so they yes. don't, and then they're all in my kitchen, and now I've got a HomePod up there, and so it's even more. But yet, the way they negotiate and one decides to answer, and usually it's the one you want, like for me yeah. in the kitchen, the HomePod, they don't get enough credit for how well they've they've made that work, in my opinion, because it's, it's just one of those better. things. Yeah, it feels like they fixed it. Previously, uh, the, the different signals it looked for were mostly based on uh, the quality of the of the connection to Siri. And so HomePod would always win, but then would sometimes say, sorry, I can't do this on HomePod. And you're like, well, then why did you answer? And now it seems to better understand the capabilities of the device. And if, for example, HomePod can't do it, it doesn't just automatically win anymore. Yeah. The thing you mentioned that I think also is really well done is picture-in-picture on the iPhone because we got that way back in iOS 9 for the iPad and just not at all on the iPhone. And now it it works really well. You just swipe out of an app and picture-in-picture takes over. I just, my only concern is that companies like Google, which barely seem to take, you know, be bothered ever to implement new iOS features, will either do it like inconsistently or not at all uh, on apps, or maybe some of the network TV apps who use custom media controllers instead of the default ones, just won't bother to implement it. And then the feature will sort of be inconsistent and people won't even try using it. I mean, we could we could go on <laughs> long and long yeah. and long about Google and their support for iOS system-wide features. And I, I was testing it uh, because right now it seems to work if you have YouTube Premium and it's a live stream. If both those things are right. true, it'll engage. And when it does, it's really smart. Like I was bringing up the keyboard typing things and it knows to move. If you swipe it down, it'll stop above the keyboard. It'll go all the way down. If there's extra rows, it really gives you, it's really smart about where it positions itself and where it lets you sort of flick it out of the way, where it lands when you're trying to do stuff at the same time as watching. But I feel like the other area, I feel like the sports apps are going to adopt it quickly because that's another thing that people love to put in the background because if you're watching uh, whatever your favorite sport is, you can definitely, you know, for a two-hour sporting event, spend a lot of that time only half paying attention to it, and you're not even doing an injustice to it. That's sort of what people do with sports is, you know, uh, uh, let me go through all my email. I have a whole bunch of email to catch up on while this basketball game is playing. So messages is the other sort of really big hero feature, and it got a bunch of updates as well. You can pin up to nine conversations at the top of the screen now, and you can even see when people are typing or sending emoji reactions while you're doing it. I'm not sure I love the interface for it now that I've lived with it all summer. And because especially if you have more than three, it's like you can have three that go across, but then it's, you know, you start getting into like Brady Bunch, Tic-Tac-Toe screen territory. Yeah. And it's such a different interface than the list, you know, and it makes me wonder why not just let me keep them in a list and just put an icon next to the ones that are at the top, like when you pin a note. Yeah, Yeah. like notes. Right. Yeah, no, I think that's really I I think that's really canny because it it also takes up a, a lot of space, especially on the iPhone where it's a single column view and you're devoting literally half the screen to them. I just sort of made that mental trade-off where because it's showing me typing, because it's showing me responses, those sorts of things, that it's okay to have that screen real estate. For whatever reason, the way they do it, it's like you... I mean, and I guess it makes sense, you know, that most people would have avatars for the people they want to pin and not just initials, but it really helps because the name gets smaller and you really are relying on whatever the avatar is for the person that you have. Yeah. Um while we're giving backhanded camp compliments to Apple, I feel like they've done way too good a job with Memoji yeah. be- 
because, and here's what I mean by that. They've done such a good job with it. And people do, everybody, like just people in my family who I wouldn't think would spend time making their own Memoji or maybe they wouldn't know about it. They have. And it's like, I get text messages from people in my extended family and it's like, hey, they made a Memoji. My mom did. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. And also that really does, that looks like my sister-in-law. Yeah. Wow. Or that looks like my sister. Hey, neat. Good job. Um, but there's also, as much as they do look like the person at a glance, they all look like Apple Memoji. Yeah. <laughs> and so there isn't a, you know what I mean? There's yeah, sort it takes of a like, second longer to parse. Yeah. It's, it's, it's like everybody's face is made with the same font. In, yeah, you know, the Memoji font of making an animated face. I don't know. The one thing that I have been using more, and I don't know if it's just out of habit from apps like Slack or like Twitter, is the at person. Like, I don't know if you're like at Moltz, it's okay. Jaws and Craig showed up. Yeah. You don't have to be, you don't have to be on camera. The next thing that was on their list was maps. And this has been a hard one for me because Canada is only getting the new map starting this year. So I don't really have... I've never really used them a lot, except when I travel to the U.S. and I haven't done that in a good six months. It's not a great year, not a great year for maps. No, and they didn't know it going into it. That's the whole thing. It's like they have this wonderful guides feature. So when you go on your trip, it's all available to you and you can share these things. And I've made like trips to New York, trips to San Francisco, (laughs) trips to Chicago that I just I can't go on. Right. I've done the same thing where we're like, remember when we used to go places here? Let's yeah. go see if there's uh if if there's uh what's the feature called? Walk around, whatever they yeah. call it. Uh and it's like, Oh yeah, I remember this and it's, and it's like, Oh, here we are. It's like we're pretend leaving the house. And that's that's another good point too, because that's they're getting better and better at doing that. Like it feels like they're not just stopping at the roads when the road ends, they're putting on a backpack and hiking through the trail. Yeah. And they're nowhere nearly as ubiquitous yet as Google's look around feature. But when they implement it, it's just so much smoother and it, it feels so much more visceral to me. Yeah. So I sort of want it to be everywhere. Yeah. It's also a really good interface in a uh, almost like a game-like way where, to be honest, I, I've always found it very difficult to to actually move my virtual camera around in Google's look around. And yeah. whereas with Apple's, it it feels like a game. You know, it feels yeah. like I'm. It, I I don't really whatever I guess will work. Like, can I just tap at that corner to go up there? Yes. Can I just spin? You know, put my finger on the screen to move it around? Yes. You know, everything I try to do works in an intuitive way, and it's like all of a sudden here I am. You know, looking at places I can't go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I'm the same way with the travel app. Like I'm lucky I live in Montreal and there's English and French, but I speak, you know, enough French that I don't normally need a translate app, but at least I can test it out. And yeah. at first I found it was odd that they gave it its own app because you could just build that completely into Siri or completely in, you know, just an integrated experience. But when you use it with somebody else, the ability to hold up a, like, hold it up like a flashcard or put it between you and have sort of a conversation go back and forth. I found that really useful, even with a language that I knew, but didn't have an exceptional vocabulary in. And it's one of those things where I wish I was traveling again, because I'd love to try it in like Italy or Japan or someplace like that. (laughs) Anywhere. (laughs) Anywhere. Yeah. The airport. They won't let, they won't, yeah, exactly. They won't even let me 
<laughs> they won't let me out of the country, Renee. It sort of brings me to the other feature that I that I think is more travel oriented. The like, nightmare scenario is you land somewhere, you're going to Disney or you're going somewhere else and you, you want to rent a bike or you want to rent a car. You have to pick up your car. There's a local food thing you want to order or the taxi service has its own app and you have to try and figure out what it is, find somebody to tell you. Even if you know what the name of the app is, you have to download it and set up an account. And the beautiful dream of app clips is that you'll just scan something or just put something in and it knows which app to get you. And it doesn't even have to download the whole app. It just gives you sort of like this super mega charged version of extensibility. It gives you just yeah. the functionality you need and it'll even let you use sign in with Apple so you don't have to make an account. And instead of your entire family yelling at you or thinking you're an idiot because you can't get that bike rented or you can't call a taxi, it's just scan, boom, taxis there and you look like a hero. Yeah, and I ever since it was introduced, and I know, you know, some of the examples, you know, they, they talk uh, always talk about parking garages. Yeah. Uh, you know, but I think they often talk about like counter service style restaurants and, and what, the, you know, you can order. Um, go get our app. Go to the app store. Search for our name. Get the app. Then when you launch it, we're going to ask for an email. You're going to have to pick a password. Yep. And, yes, some of the stuff gets automated and the OS will help you by picking a secure password for yep. you. But then they want you to go check your email to confirm your email. And it just feels you know it's like oh man i just wanted a coffee you know and it's like app clips to me sort of gets you the convenience of look just take this little card you know like you're leaving the parking garage a little machine is going to pop this card out and it's like okay this is all i need now and then i can get my car out of here but now you got to remember where it is and it's like if you can somehow approximate the convenience of that with the okay, it's all on my phone. And as long as I don't lose my phone, I know I'm not going to lose this. You know, that's the convenience we're going for. And apps are great for things you want to do all the time, but there really is, you know, I really don't, I, I think App Clips has tremendous potential because yes, I really yeah. do feel like there's a middle ground for just point your phone at this thing. Just get your phone yes. close to this NFC I just want to do it. Right. And and approximating the convenience of taking a slip of paper, right? Yeah. If it's that level of, all right, maybe a little bit more, you know, attention and, you know, to get it than a piece of paper, but then it's a lot less likely that you're going to lose it. It's a lot more ecologically friendly because you don't have a piece of garbage to throw you away. You don't have to have end. cash with to you be- to, do, to pay for it. Yeah. And it's, again, it's that transition from pull to push interface where you're no longer have to do all this busy work, have all this overhead. You just want to get your thing done and it brings everything to you. You can get them from the website, sure, but you can also message them. So if you wanted to send Amy your, you know, your slip, you could easily do that. Or you can scan the code. You can get them from maps. So if you took maps to find this new place, it, the map has the, the whole thing built into it already. And that to me is, like you said, a huge convenience win. That's, I think, what this technology should be doing for us. And it stores the app for the app clip temporarily in the app right. library. So if you want to make it permanent, like you're going to be there for a while, or it's the new app that runs taxis in your city, you just tap it and installs the app and then you have it permanently, which I think is a really good touch too. Yeah. The car keys feature I thought is really clever too, because it's one of those things like putting your credit cards into Apple Wallet that just reduces the amount of things you have to carry with you. Yes, it does make the one thing you are carrying even more important. And if anything happens to that, it's like a single point of potential failure. But I thought it was good that they put 
a five-hour extra battery bank. So even after your iPhone's battery is ostensibly worn down, you can still go on for, for another five hours unlocking and using it for your car. But like yeah. with CarPlay, especially CarPlay Wireless, it feels like all of these features are beholden to an auto industry that moves at a glacial pace compared to Apple. Yeah, but I so there's I I've thought about that too. Um the the upside and the downside to the pace that the automobile industry works is okay, cool new features come out and you can't use them in your car. Your car yeah. probably doesn't get upgrades. But then once you do have it, you can count on it for a long time to come, right? And I feel like so I feel like CarPlay is at that point right like now it's like you i would be surprised if i got into a new car and it didn't have car play basically tesla's the only holdout right and that's a very specific reason it's not yeah. because they never heard of it oh car play <laughs> what is this that you speak of you know yeah. and so i feel like yeah we you have to wait but if the car industry says they're going to do it they mean it and they'll do it for a long time right so yeah. You know, you, you got to look at this at like a half decade long schedule, like five years from now, this is going to be very common. Uh, there's some privacy stuff that's been controversial, but that I love. One of them is the tracking disclosure where apps that want to track you between apps and across different websites now have to ask your permission. And it immediately made all of these uh, ad companies, including Facebook, especially their third party partner program side, really angry. And my default since they announced it was that if your business model breaks under disclosure, then it's probably not a good business model. I don't want to be too harsh, but I actually don't feel like it's too uh, an unfair word. The apologists for the user tracking ad industry. And again, I'm trying to get myself in the habit of calling it user tracking ads, not ad tracking. And I know everybody, you know, naming things, everybody wants to put their best spin on it. But the ads aren't, I I, I almost feel like that's a dangerous euphemism because it's not the ads that are being tracked. It's you. Yes. Right. The ads are the result of you being tracked. It's user tracking ads, not ads being tracked. And I really feel like it's complex. The number of ways that we're tracked is like just a nightmare conspiracy theory whiteboard of a thousand strings of yarn and nobody has enough thumbtacks to put them all in and you know your hair's disheveled and <laughs> and even apple's dialogue it's like do you want to allow tracking or do you want to, i forget the other word but it's not disallow tracking it's like ask not to be tracked yeah because and and why do they word it that way it's because even if you don't allow them the access to this IDFA tracking identifier, which Apple can keep them from accessing if you don't permit it, Apple can't keep them from tracking you other ways. And yes. so, for example, if you're using apps that have a Facebook login, Facebook knows that it's you who's using this other app, even if it's not one of Facebook's apps, because literally it's their login. They have to know it's you. And that's why I think it's pretty interesting. I think Apple's verbiage in that one simple alert is very powerful. And I think it's very accurate and fair. I don't think it's scary. And and the, the accusations is that they're scaring people from allowing it and people don't know what they're missing out on. And it's like, no, people know exactly what they're missing out on. It's very thoughtfully worded. 
very accurate and people read it and they say, no, I don't want to allow this. This is, you know, no. And the industry really wants this because in the old days with like magazines, they had no idea how many people saw an ad in a magazine. But they discovered quickly on the internet, they could find out exactly who was doing it. And they don't want to pay any more for an ad than they have to. So they figure if they've shown John Gruber the same ad six times and you haven't clicked on it, they're just wasting money showing it to you seven, eight, nine, ten times. And the amount of metrics they can get off the internet means that they can sort of micromanage every nickel. And that's the big advantage of Google and Facebook's whole ad models is these micro-targeted, micro-campaign style ads. But this still feels like if if they wanted to step up and say, hey, if you give us this permission, we'll give you a much better ad experience. You won't see generic junk ads that just clutter up your life. We'll actually try to give you the best ads for the stuff that you didn't even know you wanted to. Like, They should make an honest pitch and not rely on us being ignorant of what they're doing um, to sort of serve their ads. Yeah. And it it's obviously not shutting down the intelligent algorithm driven ad industry i mean as you it's so scroll good down, people think they're listening to the microphone to do it that's how good they are at it yeah and i don't think they're doing that i really don't because i do think they're blocked but uh yeah. i do think that even if you don't tap on an ad if you just sort of scroll down and stare at it for a while that they track that because I do seem to get more ads based on what I'm looking at like that. It's that stuff where it's across other applications and I don't even know what they, who they are and what, what's going where. No, I don't want to allow it. And I don't think it's necessary. You know, uh, there really is, I I keep using the word entitlement, but the, the (laughs) industry feels entitled to what they've been getting away with. You know what I mean? It's a frontier mentality. Right. There is. It is sort of like a frontier mentality where like all of a sudden there's a bit of law and order coming yes. in and they're like, this isn't fair as opposed to, well, we knew that good times were up. No, that's not their attitude. And what's interesting to me, too, is that all Apple is, is requiring here is disclosure and consent, which isn't a very high bar to clear, especially if they can make their case that the ad model is, you know, that they can provide tangible benefits to you for opting in. And I know there's a little bit of controversy because Apple has pushed this feature till next year. They're not going to be requiring developers to use it until next year. But that seems to happen every year. It happened with sign-in with Apple last year. I forget the year before, but there was something very similar where they put in this new privacy feature and they say it's going to be required by the fall. And then there's just some edge cases or or some uh, bugs or errors that they didn't account for that get turned up because no amount of internal testing can ever equal you know, a thousand developers, let alone 10,000 testers, let alone a million you know, people in the public hitting the code. And then they say, OK, you know, we didn't foresee this. We'll, we'll give you some extra time. And it gets pushed to January or whatever. So I think that part is perfectly fine. And, you know, of course, they're going to set an aggressive deadline and then loosen it because you can't go the other way. You can't say, ah, we'll give you a <laughs> Well, let's just say, you know, like imagine I'm at on stage at WWDC. Eh, we'll give you a couple of years. Yeah, I'm a little bit surprised that mail didn't get more of a change. Yeah. Like I I kind of thought last year that the hey, let's put every feature of things you could do with a message behind this one button that looks like reply. Yes. I kind of thought that that was they ran out of time. The functionality is all there. Once you realize that that's not a reply button, it's sort of the 
do anything you want to do with this message button. I kind of expected more from mail in that regard. I do like the changes to the, I don't know what you would call it though. The, just the core productivity, you know? Yeah. And for better well, searching or for, for emoji has been transformative for me. Just the ability to find yes. the emoji I want quickly. Talk about finally, right? I mean, yes. that is that, it, and especially you know everybody has does have their favorites. They actually call them your favorites. I mean, yeah. you know, I'm I'm Mister Thumbs Up. I mean, <laughs> uh, I, I if Thumbs Up and Thumbs Down emoji were actual hardware buttons, they they would be like worn off keyboards. <laughs> uh, but, you know, sometimes it's like you want the birthday cake and it's like, well, I haven't yeah. sent that one in a while. And it's like, where the hell is that? Is that food or objects? What yes. is, you know, is that, you know, what is that under? Is it because it's a celebration or is it because it's food? And it's like, just let me type cake. I yeah. know that that would get it. Uh, the thing that surprised me is that this year we're getting default apps just for mail and for browsers. It's like Apple wants to test the waters with those before going wider. And apps have to opt into it. They have to present a flag that says, we want to be a default yeah. app, and Apple has to approve them. So like no malware can do it. No one can be like, a we're all-star yeah. browser, and we download us, and then they hijack all your cookies right. and sessions and everything. So like they'll approve Chrome, but they won't approve anything sketchy. But it seems to me that makes the whole market much more competitive. And there have been rumors about Apple doing a much more intelligent mail app for years. And Safari has been improved just step after step, year after year, to a point where Craig just keeps praising it every year at the keynote. But we've, we've not seen mail given the same sort of attention, even though it's being thrown into the same ultra-competitive arena right now. And the funny thing, too, and again... With browsers, you, like on the Mac, you end up in a religious war very quickly because <laughs> you're talking very much about the browser engines. And it's, you know, Chrome's Blink engine versus Safari's WebKit engine and yeah. different priorities of WebKit is very focused on maintaining battery life. And Blink is much more focused on supporting the very latest and greatest bleeding edge web app APIs, yeah. you know. And so all sorts of stuff that works in Chrome doesn't even work in WebKit. And that's yeah. the argument, blah, blah, blah. But on iOS, you don't have that because everybody has to use WebKit. Now, that in yeah. itself is an argument, but yes. let's just skip over that. You really are. It, it's a very interesting debate as a UI nerd because it's all about the UI, right? Yeah. It, and the syncing features. The, if you want to sync yeah. Chrome on the desktop to Chrome on mobile. Which is a UI, you know, it's the, yeah. the, the syncing, the, the overall browser ecosystem. And I, I love Safaris. I really do. Same. And I think that whole default named, plainest named apps, notes, reminders, calendar's been good for a while. I'm a fantastical cow yeah, man same. myself, but I do use Apple Notes and I use reminders more than I used to, especially for short term stuff. Like what's just not like a long, it's, you know, and I feel like they've done a good job of here's the basics that people want. They sync between all your devices very reliably. Yeah. Um, but they're also not stepping on the toes of the serious nerd out fantastic type apps for focus. Yeah. All those things. Yeah. Or things or stuff like yeah. that. It's, it's a really nice baseline experience that I think it, normal people do use and embrace. And even nerds can kind of get into like, Oh, I'm not really into calendaring. So I, my calendar is not complicated. The built-in calendar app is great. Uh, 
And they continue to, to, I think, make those apps really good. If I was going to have a takeaway of iOS 14, is that it's just the entire beta has been so much better than iOS 13. It just, yeah. from day one, it's felt much smoother. And it's had some ups and downs and some things have stopped and started working again. But I think they not only are delivering on features that take an already mature operating system and just make it easier, and in some cases, more fun to use, but it's much more stable again. And they're they're sort of layering on the foundations for whatever comes next. Like you can see them stepping up the intelligence, stepping up the sort of interface paradigms. Uh, and, and I'm really happy with iOS 14, which is something I couldn't have said about iOS 13 last year at this stage. Yeah, yeah, totally. And I feel, I feel like there's a bit of Murphy's Law irony there where last year they had to ship iOS 13 clearly before it was ready. I mean, because they came out with iOS 13.1 like five days yeah. later because the iPhones were coming out that required it. And yeah. this year, <laughs> the iPhones are behind schedule. They have more time. But iOS 14, I think clearly, I mean, there, I still run into a few bugs here and there, but it's clearly if they needed to ship it tomorrow, they could ship it tomorrow and it would be fine. If you haven't seen his WWDC interview with Craig Federighi and Jaws, I'll link to it in the description. And I'll also link to the special John and I did on James Bond. You can find it on Nebula and on Patreon. And yeah, I have Patreon now, patreon.com slash Renee Ritchie. I set it up right after I quit my big media job in March, right before all of this happened and I started this new indie channel. I needed a way and I needed a community to make these videos even better. So when you sign up, you not only get access to the members only Discord where we chat about Apple Silicon, Apple Silicon, iOS, macOS gear workflows and much, much more. But you also get to see scripts or outlines for some of the shows days before they're shot. Sometimes even early versions of the videos before they go live on YouTube. Longer versions of interviews when they're available, like 45 minutes with iJustine and Walt Mossberg and more. And there are even ways to get your name in the description of every video and in the credits. To be more involved in this community and contribute directly to the creation of these videos and future projects, check out patreon.com slash Ritchie or just click the link in the description. That's patreon.com slash Ritchie and clicking on that link really helps out the channel. Now, for much, much more on everything Apple's announcing this month, click the playlist above, software, hardware, services, all of it. Just click the link above and I'll see you next video.